This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. It's Thursday, November 24th, 2022. It's now with Dave Brown coming to you live on AMI-tv. I'm Alex Smythe. In for Dave Brown. Let's hit those horns and go. Coming up on today's show, Ryan Huey of Accessible Insulin Pumps Task Force tells us about his petition to make pumps more inclusive for people with vision loss. Don Dickinson previews McLean's Magazine with articles about a solution to Canada's supply chain issue. And Stephen Scott shares his thoughts on the Amazon Fire tablet. But let's begin with our top story. Justice Minister David Lametti speak. He said that the protest was infringing on the rights of others. They were participating in a protest that was trampling on the rights of other Canadians, the Section 7 rights to security. Uh, they were having a negative impact on mental health. They were having a negative impact on people's mobility, both both in urban areas like Ottawa, but also at border crossings. He said while he deemed that protest illegal, there were always options to protest legally downtown. When the blockade was cleared, people moved down the street, Wellington Street in Ottawa, towards Booth, and they protested on the side of the road, not impeding traffic, not impeding pedestrians, manifesting their, their, their political beliefs, waving signs. That was completely legal. Throughout all of this, those people had an option to move to protest legally, and they didn't. But when asked the critical question about the legal advice used to invoke the Emergency Emergencies Act, he claimed privilege. As for the process that got us to those conclusions, I'm going to leave that to the final argument of my lawyers. That pushes me into an area where I... I can't really answer the question without, uh, without infringing on solicitor-client privilege. Defence Minister Anita Anand also testified in addressing questions around the idea of sending in the military to clear the protest. Our country's soldiers are not police officers. They are not trained in crowd control. They are not trained in protest management. They are not law enforcement. Transport Minister Omar Algebra testified yesterday as well. Now heading over to the war in Ukraine. It still rages on as Russia continues to strike the once-held city of Kyrgyzstan. Karen Chamas has the latest. Only weeks after its retreat, Russia is now pounding the town with artillery as its military digs in across the Dnieper River. Ukraine is striking back at Russian troops with its own long-distance weapons. The weapons enable Ukraine to strike deeper into Russian-controlled territory, possibly pushing as far as Crimea, which Russia illegally captured in 2014. The Russian withdrawal from the only provincial capital it gained in nine months of war was one of Moscow's most significant battlefield losses. I'm Karen Chamas. The continued strikes from Russia have brought condemnation from UN leaders. Tom Rivers has that angle. More Russian missiles targeting Ukraine's battered energy grid. More calls from the world body to stop. 
UN Undersecretary General Rosemary DiCarlo. These latest attacks renew fears that this winter will be catastrophic for millions of Ukrainians who face the prospect of months of frigid weather with no heating, electricity, water, or other basic utilities. Russia's ambassador to the UN, meanwhile, says the attacks are focused on infrastructure that supports the movement of Western military supplies to Ukrainian units. Tom Rivers, ABC News, at the Foreign Desk. U.S. officials are saying that Iran is intensifying the attacks in the Middle East. Jordana Miller has the latest. The U.S. Navy concluding Iran used a drone last week to bomb an Israeli-linked oil tanker in the Sea of Oman, calling it a, quote, flagrant and dangerous attack. Navy officials said explosives experts boarded the damaged Pacific Zircon tanker to collect debris and bomb residue. A lab analysis at the headquarters of the U.S. 5th Fleet in Bahrain linking that evidence to Iran's Shahid-136 drone. Naming Iran as the culprit backs up Israel's claims that Tehran's shadow war against Jerusalem has gone to the high seas. Jordana Miller, ABC News, Jerusalem. And now now here back at home, after the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal struck down the $40 billion settlement by the federal government over Indigenous child welfare discrimination, they are asking a federal court judge to review elements of the deal. And Indigenous Minister Patty Haiju says that they want this agreement to be done quickly. This is a historic agreement in that it is uh, an agreement that represents uh, huge sums of money, indeed $40 billion, $20 billion for compensation. But not only that, it is an agreement that has been led by Indigenous people and designed by Indigenous people. And so we'll continue, as I said, to work with the parties. Um, Our first priority is to ensure compensation can unfold quickly. And in the world of finance, Bank of Canada Governor Tiff Macklem spoke at a House of Commons committee meeting saying that any financial policies should be focused and short-term. Policies aimed at uh, mitigating the effects of inflation on the citizens really need to be targeted, targeted on the most vulnerable, and temporary. Temporary while this is an inflation problem. He says that patience is key for getting inflation under control. You know, the danger of um, very widespread uh, measures is... It, it, you know, the price system works, um, and you gotta you gotta let it work. That's part of, uh, you know, that's part of getting inflation back down. So you don't want you don't want monetary and fiscal policy to work at cross purposes. And finally, the Canadian Union of Public Workers will begin voting today on a tentative deal between the union and provincial government. Cam Rebo has more. The Canadian Union of Public Employees has said the four-year contract comes with a $1 an hour raise each year, or about 3.59% annually for the average worker. It was enough to avert a second strike this month. But Laura Walton, president of CUPE's Ontario School Board Council of Unions, said on Sunday she doesn't really like the deal because it doesn't come with new staffing level guarantees. I think it falls short. I think it's terrible that we live in a world that doesn't see the need to provide services to kids that they need. Ratification vote are set to start today and go on for 12 days. QP saying results will be released December 6th. Karen Rebo, the Canadian Press, Toronto. And now we head over to our daily poll. We'll start with the results from yesterday's poll where I asked you, are international conferences helpful for setting environmental policies at home? Well, you voted overwhelmingly in favor of no, 100%. 
said, no, there is no, uh, there's no helpful uh, use of these international conferences when setting policies back at home. I, I know we spoke with Arno Kopecki yesterday, and he, he, he had a bit more of an optimistic uh, view on it, but, uh, I mean, the people have spoken. No, 100%. I, I don't think since the time I've been here we've had 100% uh, uh, consensus on any poll. But we'll see today on today's Daily Poll, because I will be talking with producer Paul Daniel a bit later about making national parks more accessible. So I wanted to ask you at home, what is your favorite thing about visiting a national park? Is it the wildlife? Is it the trails? Is it the camping? Or is it other? Now, for me, there's a few different uh, things I really do enjoy. When I was younger, camping was always number one. You know, I loved going in those back trails, finding somewhere secluded just to go and enjoy. But you know, as I got older, okay, then I enjoyed doing some of the hiking. I enjoyed some of the wildlife. But, you know, now with my vision, I'm not really seeing much of the wildlife when I am in, in these parks. I, I, I think I'm probably going to go in under the other category just because some of these national parks, these historic sites, they have, you know, amazing history and cultural sites. Like when I was in, in Banff, you know, you, you got to see... Uh, some of the uh, the Banff Springs and, and some of these great national parks with a lot of indigenous history. So that's really, I think, where I will lean on this. But let's bring in Mike Ross and get his take. Mike, when it comes to national parks, what are you most excited about? What do you love most about them? Okay, I've got two things that I'm really excited about when it comes to national parks, and I'll get to those in a second. Okay. But I got to start with what I'm never excited about in a national park. And that is that national parks versus Ontario provincial parks, which is where I've done all, all my camping, yep. do not have washrooms. Mm -hmm. They have like these chemical toilets. Yep. Not comfortable. I don't like them. Um, they, it's just not, a, you know, there's a reason why in Ontario provincial parks, they're called comfort stations <laughs> because they're actually like a little bit of home, uh, out, uh, in the, uh, in the, uh, great outdoors. What I do like about, um, uh, national parks is I'm going to go with the camping because I love camping. Uh, I love the fresh air. I love the campfires. Just being outdoors, sleeping under the stars is just amazing. Um, and I'm going to go with other as well. So I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to go rogue here. I'm going to vote twice, and I'm going to say the camping. And I'm also going to go with other and say swimming. I mm. love swimming in rivers, lakes, anything that's not a pool, anything that isn't man-made. You know, like I always say, nature's swimming pools are uh, sometimes the best place to sort of just unwind, relax. You can have a lot of fun, but I think it's it's kind of nice and relaxing too to uh, just jump into a lake or jump into a river and cool down on a hot summer day. And there's so many great places to do it in national parks across the country. Absolutely. But that said, the one thing you can always count on in the pool that it's only going to be you in the, in the pool when you're swimming in the lakes and the rivers and the streams is sometimes you get some company and you don't know what's brushed up against your foot or your leg. I, you know what, I, I think because 
I grew up basically swimming in a lake every weekend um, for most of my childhood. Um, like I got over that. The only thing I'm, I'm I'm still not comfortable with that I still don't like very much is swimming in an area that's got a lot of weeds. Mm. I'm not a fan of that, the, the feeling of weeds all over me. Um, but knowing that there are fish and such around me, no big deal. Um, even I remember swimming um, – at a beach in Cuba many years ago and just schools of fish yeah. swimming by us. And that, that doesn't bother me at all. I, I figure they, you know, I'm, I'm in their, in their domain, but they do a good job usually of sharing it. And it's not like they're going to take a chunk out of me. So I'm okay with that. The, the only ones you need to worry about in, in the lakes and in the rivers are the snapping turtles, but uh, those yeah. are few and, and far between, thankfully. Uh, let's bring in Eliza Rocco and get her take on this. Eliza, what's your favorite part about visiting national parks? So Mike kind of uh, read my mind there and stole my answer a little bit. So my first answer was going to be under the other category, and I was going to say the beach in general. I love swimming. I, I learned how to swim from a very young age, and I became really good at it, so um, no risk of drowning there for the most part. Um, but I would love to get knocked over by those huge waves. I played in the sand dunes, like I made sand castles, and I just love everything about those beaches, those gorgeous, gorgeous beaches. Camping is also high up there for me, but uh, I haven't done that in quite a while. I normally did that when I was a kid, and my parents had to buy everything and plan everything. And it's it's uh, a little bit more work now that I'm adult and I have to do everything. Um, but yeah, other than that, I love I love hiking as well, and so that's kind of a new passion of mine. And uh, if I'm going to a national park or a provincial park nowadays, it's definitely for the hiking and the beach. You're, you're, you're listing off all the ones. You, I you know. Wanna... I can't pick one. <laughs> See, clearly we, we, we had good options there because everybody wants uh, to select one of them. Eliza, thank you so much for, for chiming in. And if you at home want to uh, vote as well, you can go to Facebook at Accessible Media Inc. or Twitter at Accessible Media Vote. And be sure to comment. If, if you select other, let us know what is your favorite thing. Now, We'll head back to Mike Ross, who has our national weather update. Thank you, Alex. We're going to begin the AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada in St. John's, Newfoundland. It'll be cloudy today with some flurries. The high is minus 2, and the wind chill will be near minus 15. Halifax will be sunny today with a high of 0 and a wind chill of minus 14 this morning. Montreal, mainly cloudy, the high plus two, the wind chill minus nine. To Ottawa, cloudy skies with a high of plus two and a wind chill of minus seven. In Toronto, a mix of sun and cloud and a high of eight. Let's go to Thunder Bay, increasing cloudiness today and a high of plus two, the wind chill this morning, minus 14. Out to Winnipeg, where it will be mainly cloudy with a high of plus two. And as Winnipegers head out the door, the wind chill is minus 10 today. Saskatoon will see a mix of sun and cloud, a high of plus one, and a wind chill of minus 12. A couple of hot spots today in Alberta. We'll start in Calgary, where it will be cloudy, but the high is eight degrees. And in Edmonton, cloudy skies, but a high of nine. Moving to Yellowknife, cloudy with a high of minus 5 and a wind chill near minus 16. In Vancouver, 
Cloudy today, the high is 10 degrees. And Victoria will see a mix of sun and cloud today with a high of 10 degrees. And that is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Mike. We'll check in with you a bit later in the show. But coming up next, Ryan Huey from Accessible Insulin Pumps Task Force tells us about the petition to make pumps inclusive for people with vision loss. You're watching now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Just in time for Diabetes Awareness Month, a petition has been formed to make the Government of Canada mandate that insulin pumps to be made accessible for people with vision loss. Ryan Huey has submitted the petition and is a member of the Accessible Insulin Pump Task Force. He joins us now. Good morning, Ryan. Hi, guys. Thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate the time. No, no. Thank you for, for coming on and chatting about this because this is such an important issue. But first off, can you tell us a bit about the Accessible Insulin Pump Task Force? It's What is what is the mission of that task force? Absolutely. It just depends how much time you have because I can talk diabetes and insulin pumps all day. Uh, but no, this is this is really cool. So the task force uh, kind of became a thing uh, within CNIB and some of the advocacy team and the public outreach team and the public policy team. About three years ago, we'll say, we started looking at getting these calls and getting these inquiries from other participants and other people that are part of the visually impaired community. And they were saying they couldn't use their pumps or they had been using their pumps for years without vision and they couldn't really use them. And then I sort of brought my story to the table and said, look, I can't even tell you how much battery is in my pump right now. And it kind of opened the eyes of people and said, let's get these manufacturers on board. Let's see if we can get some meetings. Let's see if we can kind of get to the bottom of this. Because realistically, 750,000 Canadians are living with some form of diabetic retinopathy. Uh, so some form of vision loss and for them not to have them an accessible pump to even use and to care and treat their diabetes is, is kind of concerning. So we started off with uh, lobbying to some of the pump companies and realized maybe we should switch up our approach a bit and let's, I don't want to say go after the government, but let's get our idea kind of pushed forth within the government. And so why did you want to uh, make this petition now? Like, was was the timing right? Have you just uh, spent so much time trying to get those companies on board that you decided, okay, no, let's enough time waiting. Let's actually put this forth. Let's get this petition before the government of Canada. I think it's sort of just happenstance, but it's also a lot of things kind of came into place. Uh, November being Diabetes Awareness Month. Uh, we had met some really great people uh, within the government, some MPs, uh, and they were kind of on board once they heard and said, hey, why don't you do this? And sort of looked at it and said, why have we thought about that before? So we kind of got the public policy team on board at CNIB, um, and I kind of started doing some stuff with them, and we put this petition forward, and as of November 2nd, uh, we had uh, an MP back us, uh, Benita Zerillo, and she is uh, kind of the head of this petition, and uh, she's been wonderful. I actually met her last night as I'm in Ottawa, and I was at an event for Diabetes Canada, and it was really great. Uh, it was really awesome, and you know what? 
I, it's safe to say that we've already met our goal. So we had to have 500 signatures by March 2nd of 2023. And as of 4 p.m., I checked last night and we had 1,323 signatures. And I don't want to stop. I want to just keep getting as many as possible uh, for people to sign this and be Canadian resident and sign it because uh, your support means everything from the bottom of our hearts and the diabetic community. And so you you mentioned you have this petition, you have over a thousand signatures, which is phenomenal. What what are the next stages now? Like what what is going to happen with the petition going forward? So we have a couple of MPs on our side. Uh, we've we've met with them and we've kind of showed them the problem. We've showed them how I have to use my pump and how it's realistically a fancy insulin syringe rather than a pump. There's uh, a lot of news articles coming out for the month of November and uh, Diabetes Month. So once this petition closes, now uh, there will be some sort of discussion within the House of Commons on essentially our goal is to have insulin pumps be accessible to the, the visually impaired community, but we really want to kind of take this off and, and make it even bigger because there's lots of medical devices out there that aren't accessible. Uh, like even for instance, I have to specially order a scale to weigh myself, right? I can't just look down and say, oh, Ryan, you weigh 100 pounds, or you have to get this talking one, which is, you know, the kind of the three pillars of accessibility are, is it affordable, is it available, and is it accessible, right? And right now, there's a lot of medical devices that don't fit one, even all three of those criteria in Canada, and we're going to lobby to get them to be accessible for all of uh, the disabilities. Yeah, there's such a huge issue, as you mentioned, within the medical device uh, uh, community that it's, you know, they may serve a very practical purpose, but when it comes to accessibility, they often fall short. Can you talk a bit about what you would hope that an accessible uh, insulin pump would kind of look like? What, How would it function? What, what are the features that you feel it needs to have to make it accessible for people? There's so many things that I envision, but I think realistically with the way technology and everything is going, I think a smartphone app would be the best approach because you got, um, you know, talk back on your Android phones, you have voiceover on your Apple phones, they're doing the heavy lifting, it's just make your app accessible with that and then it can tell me all the information there. I know there's a lot of security features there that uh, a lot of security concerns with pump companies, but I mean, with facial recognition, uh, fingerprint software, passcodes, there's there's ways around it. I think that would be the low-hanging fruit, but ultimately I would love to see a pump almost look, and I don't work for Apple, but almost like the iPhone where the accessibility features are there, they're just, you have to turn them on in the background. Um, so a sighted individual wouldn't even know they're there unless uh, they actually want to go rooting around, and I think that some sort of speech component, some sort of audio component, and even um, some sort of inverted colors or um, something like that for the uh, low vision community would be great. Uh, and then there's also in the newer pumps of vibration for those that um, like the vibration mode as well. So there's a lot of different things happening. I think it's just getting that plan of attack and kind of putting them forward into this accessible pump, right? Because let's say that the goal right now um, is to have one accessible pump on the market because there's not one worldwide. But I think the dream, and that's what we're focusing on, is to have all pumps universally designed. And, you know, then I have the choice. Do I want pump A, pump B, pump C, or and kind of get to choose, right, instead of just being forced to, here's your one accessible pump. 
Absolutely. And, you know, uh, being a member of the disability community, that's often been the uh, the situation where it's like, oh, well, there's this one accessible option for you that it's like you kind of have to take it or leave it. There's not a lot of other choice in, in the matter. Um, can you kind of you've touched on it a bit earlier, but can you kind of describe a bit of the current situation for insulin pump users in Canada who have vision loss? Like what's the current situation like and the struggles that uh, uh, someone would face with vision loss? There are a lot of struggles. Um, I'm going to stick to kind of my my story because everybody kind of faces uh, a little bit of a different uh, barrier. And it depends on where you live, for starters. Uh, affordability, right, as we spoke about a little bit earlier. Certain provinces have ADP or certain coverages that do cover the pump. Other people have to pay out of pocket. And pumps can range in the tens of thousands of dollars. So if you're paying out of pocket, there's a huge concern right there. Uh, I think there should be some sort of landscape across the nation for, for something like this. There's also, with me, I can't even tell you how much battery is in there. I need to continually FaceTime somebody to say, hey, my pump is beeping because all the warning beeps are the same. Even having just a different warning beep to say, oh, that's the battery, I need to change it. Oh, that's the insulin portion, I need to refill it. Or maybe there's something else going on there. Having that different audio would be great and just so simple to do, right? That's old school. Like, look at the old school cell phones from the early 2000s. They had, what, 50, 60 ringers on it, and they were able to do it. So I'm just curious as to why the pump can't, right? I understand you're not going to go back and retrofit my pump so I can have every inch of it available to me. But I'm thinking moving forward that pumps should be made accessible in that fashion, um, and they should be able to even you know, dictate stuff out to me through a speech output, have a repeat button, um, even like the inverted colors would be great for those with uh, low vision because I know sometimes it's hard. The screens are small. Uh, everybody wants a small pump. You don't want a, a backpack size pump, right? Uh, so you, you have to have a smaller screen. That's usually what takes the, uh, the, the minimalization when you're making something smaller. But for me, I think it's just having some sort of audio, some sort of app. I think that's the easiest place because let's face it, you know, nobody leaves home without their cell phone. You're more likely to leave home with their, without your house keys than your cell phone, right? Or out without your wallet. Technically, you don't even need your wallet. You can use Apple Pay or you can use uh, all kinds of different things uh, to, to kind of even pay for groceries and stuff when you're going out shopping. So the cell phone is key. I think that's where we're going to have to really push and, and get Health Canada on board to kind of lobby for some of those things. And uh, before I let you go, Ryan, uh, where can people go to sign the petition and find out more information? Unfortunately, the link is about 60 miles long. Okay. So if people want to reach out to me, uh, they can reach me at ryan.hui at cnib.ca, R-Y-A-N dot H-O-O-E-Y. And I can forward you the link and we'd love to have you sign. And you don't have to have diabetes. You just have to be a Canadian resident or maybe you have a friend, family member uh, that has been affected by diabetes. But really appreciate the time, guys. Keep up the great work. And uh and Ryan, we'll be sure to have that information on our blog after the show, ami.ca slash now. Uh, thank you so much, Ryan, for chatting with us today. That was Ryan Huey, who is a member of the Accessible Insulin Pump Task Force and works with the CNIB. Coming up next, Don Dickinson previews McLean's Magazine with an article about a solution to Canada's supply chain issue. Uh, but first, here is Canadian Press reporter Karen Rebo with her Business Minute.
Optimism on a potential moderation in interest rate hikes helped give lift to some growth sectors like technology on Canada's main stock index yesterday, ahead of today's U.S. Thanksgiving holiday. Toronto's TSX index rose 62 points to close at 20,282. New York's Dow Jones average gained 95 points and the Nasdaq added 110. And our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 74.93 cents U.S. Bank of Canada Governor Tiff Macklem has told the Commons Standing Committee on Finance that targeted and temporary measures fuel inflation less than broad-based ones. That was his response to Conservative MPs' questions about whether direct transfers to low-income Canadians or energy relief packages are the better way to deliver relief without fueling inflation. And North America's biggest shopping event of the year starts tomorrow. Many Canadians plan to hunt for deals on Black Friday, and analysts think shopping in brick-and-mortar stores is going to make a comeback. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Karen Rebo. Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown, coming to you live on AMI-tv. McLean's Magazine airs on Fridays at 5 p.m. Eastern on AMI-audio and features readings of some of the best analysis and commentary from the pages of The Walrus, or the McLean's Magazine, sorry. Producer Don Dickinson joins us now to tell us, tell us about a few of this week's articles. Don, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Oh, you're very welcome, Alex. Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you too. Now, there's a couple really interesting articles this week. I'm I'm really excited to dive into it. So let's start with your first one. It's about Canada's supply chain issues. And apparently one of the best solutions to all of the shipping woes isn't a bird or a plane, but it's a cargo <laughs> airship. So give yeah. us a bit of a bit of information on on airships and kind of the history that they've had. Well, as everybody knows, well, I shouldn't say everybody, as all us old folk know, Alex, (laughs) (laughs) when it comes to airships, everybody thinks about, you know, the terrible disaster of uh, the Hindenburg, right? And that was, you know, just a loss of life. And and after that, basically, you know, it it was not the sort of thing that was used anymore. But for years, these vessels have actually clocked impressive transatlantic transatlantic flights. They've hosted delightful leisure cruises. Uh, They've been used for world military operations. Uh, Their appearance was brought about by technological advances, obviously. Um, Sorry, their disappearance was brought about by technological advances. Um, Such things as aircraft like Boeing 747, uh, which came around in the 70s, they were just simply faster and more efficient, and then they were lighter than uh, than dirigibles. Uh, but lately, surprisingly enough, Alex, uh, airships have been making a comeback. Now, for me, like when I think of an airship, at least in modern sense, like the only time I would ever see one would be at like a sporting event that you would have one. It's a sponsor that you have the, the one floating around, but they never really seem to be you know, doing much or or capable of much, especially when you compare it to more modern technology and planes. But why are they making a comeback, Don? I'm I'm just baffled by this. 
Yeah, I know. It was a surprising article for me too. That you think of them as kind of, you know, cumbersome and 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 like big whales in the sky. You know, they're slow and whatnot. But in actual fact, they have low emissions uh, output. They have a pract- uh, attractive price tags, and the serious need for freight solutions in a troubled global supply chain means that they're actually being looked at again quite seriously. Um, and also, uh, they're hybrid in form. Okay, so theoretically. Uh, airships could you could be used to carry basically anything, building materials, food supplies, even people. Um, so in 2012, uh, when the F- French Ministry of Agriculture and Food needed a high-capacity machine to transport difficult-to-extract wood from forests high in the Alps, they used airships. So there's different... Um, different things being being uh, uh, experimented with and uh, it turns out they're they're quite good at the job now here here's a question for you do you ever see yourself like hopping in <laughs> in an airship like i i never kind of thought it's like oh I, i'm i'll i'll go on an airship right it never just appealed to me but you know as, as you're listing all these things like the environmental impact because we know with when it comes to like air airliners and 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 jets and and stuff like that it's like the the uh the fossil fuels and the 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 gas that's needed to power those uh those uh airlines it's it's immense. So would you ever decide to go on an airship? Oh, yeah, I, I, I think so. I, I don't think I'd be, I mean, I've been ballooning. I'm, you know, I'm not scared of being up in the air. Uh, and uh, I really think that, you know, because of the improvement in all the safety factors and because of the, um, as you say, the hybrid capacity, I, I think it would be something that I would definitely entertain. Yeah, absolutely. And so what is Canada's involvement in all this? You mentioned that there, uh, there was a push in, uh, by the, the French ministry, but what about Canada? Yeah, so in, 19, uh, in 2019, the Quebec government invested $30 million to develop and build flying whale airships in the province. Uh, the current model uh, has an oblong uh, superstructure and a cargo bay that's 96 meters long, 8 meters wide, and 7 meters high. The lift is powered by helium, not hydrogen, thank God. Uh, which <laughs> uh, Right now, the airships run on a hybrid propulsion system. And they they will be fully electric by 2030. So uh, it's definitely the Quebec's obviously jumped in first uh, with the investment there of the 30 million. But it's the kind of thing where they think it's going to be um, developed basically uh, nationwide. That's fascinating. We may be seeing more airships in in our skies going forward, reliving this kind of weird steampunk uh, future that we have in front of us. But um, Moving on, you had another article, and it's about the issues of the healthcare system and looks at Alan Drummond, an ER doctor whose emergency department is close to collapsing. So it, it seems like every day we're, we're hearing new issues and new concerns about the ER and the healthcare system. But can this firsthand account seems to be extremely moving. So can you give us a, a bit of an overview on this article? Uh, yeah, this uh, this is quite an extensive article in uh, in this month's uh, Maclean's. It's a very very personal article, and I think that's why it's so impactful, Alex. Because you know we hear it on the news all the time, as you said, and you know we know that you know things are in dire straits when it comes to emergency medicine. But he is really speaking on a very personal le- level. Um, 
everything that happens basically that has happened across Canada is happening in his department in Perth. And he said that it's also happening roughly in the 850 um, emergency departments nationwide. And of course, when it comes right down to it, we're talking about overcrowding, staff shortages, violence, abuse, burnout, patients warehoused in the ER because they can't get a bed. And he says, you know, Perth is just basically a little microcosm of what's happening on a national basis. Wait times for non-admitted patients to see a doctor have shot from one hour to five, and that's a minimum, Alex. Patients uh, who need a bed might wait up to 24 hours or more and the provincial average for emergency patients is now at 21 hours, sometimes longer. We all know this is happening, but he brings a very, very personal feel to it and talks about some very, you know, day-to-day -day things that are happening in his department that are just atrocious. Well, and this is the thing that I always think of anytime I, I see one of these news stories, as I mentioned, you know, it seems like it's almost every day that you're you're hearing something new. It's like, the situation is horrendous, but without people like Alan, uh, Dr. Alan Drum in those emergency rooms and, and in the uh, in the hospitals continuing to work, it would be so much worse. Like we were we've been in this situation for the past few years with, with the pandemic, but it just goes to show that there's been such a an issue that's been under the surface that's now boiled up. But you you talked about the the hospital uh, bed wait times to going almost over a day in some cases. What about patient care? How has that been affected? Well, it, dramatically, Alex, dramatically. I mean, under these conditions, he states that it's nearly impossible to maintain the compassion and care that actually should be intrinsic to professional um, uh, medicine, right? Uh, the humanity and decency that good doctors should be bringing to their work is very difficult to exercise. Um, a humane ER is not one in which patients are dying in the halls, he says. As, we're, as we've seen in Canada these past two years and more, it's not one where seemingly healthy people learn of terminal diagnoses and illnesses in exam rooms uh, commandeered for brief, brief moments of privacy and where violence and abuse has become run-of-the-mill. And then he speaks to the, the fact that the violence in these emergency rooms has skyrocketed because you're getting very um, irate patients who are waiting a long, long time. And of course, they're ill, so they're not you know, they're not in the best of condition to begin with. And then you're getting doctors who are working unbelievable hours to kind of keep up with all this overflow of patients. So obviously, I mean, this is just like a rock meeting a hard place, right? Uh, people get very, very frustrated, very, very annoyed. There's no privacy. And, you know, they can hear, you know, can you imagine? I mean, you're, you're in a hallway, you can hear all that's going on and screaming and yelling, and then you're being told what's wrong with you and oh my god it's it, it's just dire circumstances and of course when that happens you get abuse you get patients who are abusive of doctors and you get doctors who are very tired and very frustrated so it's it's just not good all the way around absolutely i mean it, it it's just such a uh an awful situation and and hopefully there is some change coming. But uh, in, in Dr. Drummond's case, there was a, a family, a personal family experience that changed how he, he treated patients. Can you tell me a bit more about that? 
Yeah, this was absolutely tragic because here's a man who's given everything to medicine all his life. I mean, really dedicated himself and sat on various committees and, and, and uh, in addition to all the work that he does on a day-to-day -day basis. And in 2010, one of his children, Hillary, found a lump in her breast. Uh, at first, they weren't all that concerned. He was thinking it was probably something like a cyst or something, but it turned out it was not, and it was cancer, and she was diagnosed with stage four cancer. Um, he says, quote, I knew Hillary was going to die, but I wanted to have... I wanted her to have a full life as long as possible. And through my daughter's experience, I saw medicine from a different angle, and I was totally shocked. After meeting some of her doctors, I thought, why are these people even in this profession? But now I think that maybe they weren't simply bad doctors. Maybe they were just terribly burned out at the end of the rope and having given all that they could. So, you know, as you stated, Alex, this began long before the pandemic. The pandemic was basically the straw that broke the camel's back. But we've had, um, you know, we haven't had the the sort of uh, emphasis and the, the money going into healthcare that we should have had for basically, I would say, a good 30 years, right? And we have to we have to rectify this because, as we all know. Uh, Canada is getting older and there's more seniors and, uh, you know, we can't have seniors. Uh, well, we were trying to rectify that now, as we heard in the in the news, right? Uh, can't have seniors taking up beds that people who are in dire straits in emergency needs though, need those beds. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think we're going to have to come with some creative solutions to to solve our, our current healthcare crisis. But uh, Don, we're going to have to let you go. But thank you so much for chatting with me, bringing these two fascinating articles. It was great to dive a bit deeper. Yes, yes. Thank you, Alex. Bye-bye. Don Dickinson is the producer of the reading program McLean's Magazine, which airs Fridays at 5 p.m. Eastern on AMI-audio. Coming up next, we have producer Paul Daniel, who will tell us about the U.S. national parks and how they've become a little bit more inclusive inclusive for visitors with disabilities. But first, here's reporter Alex Stone with Tech Trends. Digital Trends, Caleb Dennison says a big trend in TVs this year has been quantum dot technology. They are brighter and even more colorful than before. And if you're looking to pick up a QLED TV this holiday shopping season, Dennison says a good place to start is Samsung's S95B. The reason I'm excited about the S95B right now is that you can get the 65-inch model for under $2,000. Another option is LG's C2 OLED. Especially if you're a gamer, this TV is going to be a, a prize for you because it offers every gaming friendly feature on the planet plus the picture quality is just absolutely stellar and if you're on a budget Denison recommends a TCL 6 series this is sort of like the perfect balance between accessible price and really premium performance with tech trends of Alex Stone EBC News Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown, coming to you on AMI-tv. So we're doing things a bit differently today. Instead of an accessibility story roundup, we decided to 
bring on uh, one of our producers, Paul Daniel, who brought a story forward that we started having a, a deep conversation about off air. And, you know, we kind of figured, why don't we just do this on, on air so everyone else can... Uh, can hear it and get engaged. So uh, I want to bring in Paul Daniel, who brought a story about all-terrain wheelchairs now being available in U.S. national parks, which is part of our poll question today. Paul, good morning. How are you doing? I'm fine, Alex. How are you doing? Oh, I am doing just peachy. You know, I'm, I'm jumbling up a few words this morning, but uh, other than that, I'm, I'm doing fine. So let's talk about this story. What was it about it that caught your eye and caught your attention? Well, you know, sometimes when I, when I hear talk about inclusion and accessibility, it's always couched in language that pretends it's some type of place in the future, when in fact, the technology the, is already, to make it happen is already available. And this story example shows accessibility and inclusion isn't some far off nirvana. It's here and it's very doable. And sometimes it's, uh, it, it's, like, it's, it's not that far in the future. It's here, and I think that sometimes it's just the the will that's necessary. And and this also makes a lot of sense. It's a simple to do, and it's it's and the benefits of uh, when you do it are immense. Absolutely. Now, can you talk a bit about these all-terrain uh, wheelchairs? Like, what do they look like? How do they operate? Sure. Okay. Well, the Action Track chair, which is being used in the uh, Georgia, uh, some of the Georgia program, uh, in some of the national parks in Georgia, uh, they're equipped with tank-like tracks capable of traversing rocks, roots, streams, and uh, sand. So they can clear fallen trees, they can plow through tall grass, and they can tackle uphill climbs. They can go over a tree trunk, they can go through snow, they can manage through swamps and wetland, whereas someone using a wheelchair, just a sort of a, you know, your basic uh, standard wheelchair, might get stuck in a matter of minutes. And the user can use it uses a switch or a toggle to navigate the device, much like a power chair. Right, and, and so and these, and these chair. So one thing I want to add about the cost of these yeah. chairs is twelve thousand five hundred dollars. Wow. That may vary, but these particular chairs are twelve thousand five hundred dollars in Georgia. Yeah. Now, so are all national parks in the U.S. making these uh, these wheelchairs available? This is a gradual process in the United States that began in 2017 when the Colorado Parks and Wildlife launched its own accessibility program, providing free adaptive equipment, um, although the guests do pay a small entrance fee to the park of $10. Uh, since then, Michigan, South Dakota, and now Georgia have introduced similar programs. Three years ago, the uh, Sleeping Bear Dunes National Lakeshore, I had, had to check the name of that, the Sleeping Bear Dunes National Lakeshore in Michigan became the first national park to offer a track chair. And that program is slowly expanding. Minnesota just wrapped up a pilot project of a similar nature and is assessing it uh, whether to go forward. And so far, the results have been rather fairly positive from what I've read. So, you know, there is, so it's, again, it's a patchwork effort. It's not a blanket, but there are more states in, the, in, in, in America are beginning to go that way. Yeah, and it, it seems like whenever I, I explore something when it has to do with accessibility and, and new programs, oftentimes it's, the U.S. tends to lead the way on issues like this, where they, they will put more effort, more energy. The ADA, uh, the uh, um, act in the U.S. seems to be a lot stronger and a lot more mm -hmm. forceful in, in creating change. So how does this program compare to what our accessibility is like in Canada with our national parks? Well, much like our American friends, accessibility and inclusion is still an ongoing and inconsistent process when it comes to enjoying our 37 national parks and 10 national park reserves. Under the Accessible Canada Act, our national parks must be made barrier-free by 2040. So that there is some, still some time. The good thing is there's an ongoing, ongoing project called Accessible Park Can 
Accessible Parks Canada by the Kite Research Institute, which is the group's research arm of the uh, Toronto Rehab Institute. Um, and Kite is researching ways to make the country's national parks more accessible. And they've identified some of the devices that already exist that can be used by people with disabilities to enjoy the uh, to enjoy the natural surroundings in those areas. Again, it's a patchwork effort. Not all parks are, are have gone this way, but again, it's a slow effort to go that way. If I can give you some examples of what they're, what they're looking at, a wearable mobility for the blind and partially sighted, like uh, the immersive buzz clip, the Addy Roommate, which provides audio descriptions of surroundings, and the, mobile, and the Atlantic Chair, a fully accessible water chair, which is, we, we did a story about that a few months ago. Uh, in some parks, some beaches in Ontario are doing that now. And, and, a, and something very basic, a mobile washroom with lift and adult size change table. That, that sounds like a wonderful idea. It, it just sounds basic, right? And, and, it's, but, and the good thing is it's here. The technology is available. It's not, not in the experimental stage. Yeah, uh, for me, I always find it very fascinating in Canada mm -hmm. that it, it's almost left up to organizations to... to different accessibility um, charities and, and uh, yeah. groups to really kind of push forward this change to kind of prove that this is a need and that it's doable to make these changes. Whereas, you know, in the States, it's, it's done through the yeah. national park system here. As you mentioned, it's a, uh, a research uh, a project through a, uh, through an organization in Toronto. It's like, this should be something that is done through the provincial government, done through the federal government, but it, it's left up to organizations who really have to kind of lift up these issues and, and vocalize and, and showcase why there yeah. is a need for accessibility in our park system. It's it, it can be very frustrating sometimes. Polit there are some politicians who've been very active in speaking up on this on this issue, uh, on the idea of accessibility and making parks barrier free. But again, it's a slow and it's a slow slog, as it were. And like I said, change and progress never move fast enough for most of us. But the one good takeaway, is that, as I said before, is that the technology it does exist. It's commercially available. And I think what's needed is the, is the effort to ensure that these devices are made available in the national parks. Uh, at least get to get it done by 2040. Yeah, well, and, that, and that's the, the positive, that there is this end goal yeah. date that we have to meet. So in terms of, you know, the accessibility accommodations, like what do you think of, of these both in Canada and in the U.S.? You know, I think if you ask any person with disabilities like myself or even yourself there, Alex, it's um, long overdue. And we're we're behind we're behind we're behind schedule. We should we should have been here at these places long ago. But we're getting there. You know, progress and change, like I said, are never are never are never fast enough. Uh, but it's moving in the right direction. It's going in the right direction. And pretty soon, you know, as time goes on, that you know, people like people with disabilities can enjoy the natural surroundings. That's the good thing about it. It's very it's we're far closer to it now than we've ever been before. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and just based on the different national parks I've, I've had a chance to go mm -hmm. and visit through through my time, even just working with AMI, it's like the more we can share that experience with other members of the disability community, I mean, the better it will be because Absolutely. there's just something beautiful being able to just go and see the natural beauty that our, our country holds. So, uh, Paul, thank you so Seriously. much for, for, for bringing this story forward and, and having this conversation. I think it's a meaningful one. It's it, it's one that probably doesn't get enough attention, but it, it's sorely overdue. Hey, it's been a pleasure, Alex. Always good talking to you. <laughs> so that was one of our producers, Paul Daniel, joining us from Mississauga, Ontario. 
And so, you know, we also want to hear from you at home. As I mentioned, this is our poll question for the day. What is it about our national parks that you like the most? Is it the uh, wildlife? Is it getting outside and enjoying the trails? Is it camping or is it something else? For me, you know, as I mentioned, it was the other, being able to see some of those great uh, uh, national historic sites and national parks with out in, in uh, Alberta, out in BC, out east. There's, there's so many great ones across this country. They're all so diverse, whether it's the mountains, it's the beaches, it's the lowlands, it's the history. There is so much to explore. So please be sure to vote on our poll at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook or at Accessible Media on Twitter. You can also send us an email. You know, we, we want to hear from you. We want to uh, engage with you guys. So feedback at ami.ca for that. And you can also give us a call if you want. If you want to be a bit more old school at 1-866-509-4545. Don't forget, you got to give us permission to be able to play your comments on air. So uh, coming up in hour two, I'm going to be chatting with Stephen Scott about the Amazon Fire tablet. I'll also be chatting with Greg David to find out about some of the best holiday movies to watch. I I have a few that I watch every single year, but we'll find out what TV Guide says. You're watching now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown, coming to you live on AMI-tv. I'm Alex Mike, filling in for Dave, who's still on vacation and enjoying his best life. I'm sure it's filled with football today, but we'll get into that a bit later with Brock Richardson. It's Thursday, November 24th, 2022. Coming up on the second hour of the show, I already mentioned Brock Richardson with the sports chat, but we have Stephen Scott, who shares his thoughts on the Amazon Fire tablet. And Greg David walks us through TV Insider's list for the best holiday movies and specials. But first, we are going to head to regional news with Mike Ross. Missing $230 million over the next years to hire 277 RCMP officers across the province. EB says the money will be used to fill vacancies in rural RCMP detachments and regional units, as well as to hire more officers for specialized units such as major crime, the sexual exploitation of children unit, and money laundering. The money will also support prosecutors and probation officers dealing with violent high-risk offenders. The announcement is the latest in a series of commitments EB has made since being sworn in last week. And the first two pieces of legislation proposed by EB are expected to be passed later today, right before the legislature adjourns until February. The Housing Supply Act and Building and Strata Statutes Amendment Act were introduced Monday. The two bills aim to increase housing supply with measures that will end several rental restrictions and could force local governments to meet housing growth targets. The NDP government has faced criticism from the opposition Liberals for imposing time limits on debate to push the bills through quickly. To the prairies, Saskatchewan's NDP opposition is calling on Premier Scott Moe's government to provide targeted financial relief for seniors. NDP leader Carla Beck says the government's $500 affordability checks are not enough. 
Beck says the people who built the province should be able to age close to home in dignity and comfort, and provincial coffers are filling with cash because of high oil and potash revenues. Social Services Minister Jean Mikowski says the government is prepared to look at the Saskatchewan Personal Care Home Benefit that was created in 2012 and that people have said it has not kept pace with inflation. Albertans are about to get an update today on whether the province is still on track to record a $13 billion budget surplus. Finance Minister Travis Taves will roll out the results of the second quarter of the 22-23 fiscal year. In the first quarter, the surplus projection soared to $13.2 billion on the strength of high oil prices. The government will now have to take into account Premier Danielle Smith's plan to spend $2.4 billion on supports targeted mainly at middle to lower income families, seniors and the vulnerable. To Ontario, more than 50,000 education workers there will start voting today on whether they want to accept a tentative deal their union struck over the weekend with the Ford government. The Canadian Union of Public Employees has said four-year contract, uh, the four-year contract comes with a $1 per hour raise each year or about 3.59% annually for the average worker. Ratification votes are to continue through to December 5th and results will be released the following day. If the deal is rejected, the parties could go back to the table and the union could give another strike notice. And in the Atlantic region, senior officials with Nova Scotia's health department were unable to answer a number of questions about the state of the province's emergency health system during a legislature committee meeting. Nova Scotia, much like much of the country, is struggling with overcrowding and staffing shortages in hospitals. During yesterday's meeting, officials were unable to provide an estimate for how long Nova Scotians are waiting in emergency departments or how often ERs are closed. The committee chair is asking the health department and health authority to respond to upwards of 10 unanswered questions by next week. And those are your top regional headlines going coast to coast across the country. Thank you very much, Mike. We'll check in with you in just a couple minutes. But first, it's time to talk sports with Brock Richardson. Good morning, Brock. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. I love days like today, and I echo your sentiments. I could probably tell you exactly what Dave Brown is doing from about 1230 this <laughs> afternoon until uh, probably close to 1130 to midnight Eastern time. So lots of, lots yeah, of football on the docket a- Absolutely, and, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But first, I think we should probably talk Canada losing one nothing yesterday to Belgium. It was, it, it was a bit of a... Tough loss just because they seemed like they had so many chances and opportunities to actually get a goal and get ahead in that game. Yes, they did. Uh, the first missed opportunity was the uh, penalty kick that was really not taken all that well. Um, there wasn't much of a uh, challenge for the goaltender on that save. And then we really dominated the play for, I would say, uh, probably more than 80% of the game, Canada dominated this game. There's lots of positives to take from the game. They had 16 uh, chances um, with two shots directly on goal, including not including the penalty kick miss. There was some missed uh, 
calls from the official, but we can't get stuck on that. What we need to do is build moving forward. If they play like this, um, moving forward into their next two games, I'm feeling a lot more confident today than I was before the game started. But they do have to play more consistently and taking advantage of their opportunities. Uh, yeah, I, I would 100% agree. I mean, I had on uh, yesterday with talking with Mike Ross, I, I think I had him losing 3 nothing, And to come away with a 1-0 loss, that is pretty good considering Belgium is the second-ranked team in the world. Now, you mentioned, like, they were dominating possession early on. They were attacking. They weren't sitting in their zone. That's what you want to see. You want to keep Belgium on their on their back foot. Yeah, the the VAR uh, review and, and then the subsequent non-penalty call and, and another one that followed... Those are tough. I don't know what the refs and the VAR crew was seeing with that, but you, as you mentioned, you can't control that. In terms of the penalty shot by Alfonso Davies, I think what it makes sense in my mind on this reason alone. He is by far your best player. He is your star player. And playing in Bayern, playing in all the toughest competitions for a club in, in the world – he is the most used to be under that pressure. I, I think as the game went on, too, everyone was saying, oh, Jonathan David should have been in this position taking that penalty shot. I wasn't really impressed with Jonathan David in, in the game. There was a few times I'm just like kind of watching and thinking, come on, you got to be in position. you got to help Davies out. He is setting someone up. He needs someone to come in, finish, and take that shot. A lot of time, Tejon Buchanan, he was there taking the shots, unfortunately, they were way off the mark at some points, uh, just skying it over over the net. But it, it's a theme that I've, I've seen continue as Canada prepped for the World Cup, that they need a lot of those chances, as they did in, in this game. But unfortunately, none of them went through or made it past the, uh, Thibaut Couchois. So we'll see. Uh, their, their next game is against Croatia. I think that they have a good chance to come away with a victory in that game, considering how they played in this game. And you know John Herman's going to have that team ready. Yes, 100%. And I will just say, uh, just just to be 100% clear here, I I'm, would give Davies the ball 100% of the time. I just don't think it was his best effort mm-hmm. at a penalty kick. I think there wasn't much of a test there for the keeper. Um, but But I do not question the decision of putting, you know, Davies in there to take the shot. It's just... His execution was kind of not there, yeah. um, which is what I expected to be a little bit better. But again, we have to look at this and say, you got to take advantage of your opportunities. And Belgium had one opportunity, one really good opportunity, mm-hmm. and took advantage of it towards the end of the half, where I think Canada sort of kind of fell into the trap of, oh, we're getting towards the end of the half. Let's just slow this down and then Belgium said nah time's not up yet and they scored a goal yeah they proved why they're number two ranked in in the world that's for sure uh let's move over to the Raptors they played the Brooklyn Nets last night give us a bit of a a breakdown on that game uh tale of two teams we've got looking at their uh 112 uh, 98 for the Brooklyn Nets uh you've got um Brooklyn Nets who are getting healthy they have Uh, Kyrie Irving back after his suspension. Uh, Ben Simmons is playing well. They have their coach in place now uh, as being the head coach. So you can see his system sort of 
coming uh, to fruition. A lot of the question with the Brooklyn Nets is, can they put it together? And we'll see. Time's going to tell. They were able to put it together last night against the Raptors. Albeit, though, there was a lot of injuries on the Raptors, um, most notably uh, Pascal, Freddie, and Scotty Barnes all injured. When you have that level of injuries on your team, it's tough to play a team like Brooklyn, and I don't really care where Brooklyn is in the standings. They are always a good team uh, to play as long as they're putting aside the drama and uh, playing basketball. Well, that was just it, right? Uh, with Brooklyn, it's never about the talent. It's about the drama. It's all the off-court stuff that you wonder. And sure enough, yeah, you mentioned Kyrie Irving came back from suspension. He led the, the game with 29 points. So clearly there's the talent there. Are they going to uh, be able to maintain that and carry it on as the season continues? We'll see. Toronto, you are you start to wonder a bit about the depth with all these injuries. Are Is this going to be something that we're going to struggle with? going down the stretch because every team has to deal with injuries. Players are always going to be hurt. So it's always about who do you have on the bench that's going to be able to step up and and contribute when you need to. Yeah, and you're right. It is the question beyond the 10 players of rotation. Who's going to be the person that's going to step up? When you have injuries within your depth of your 10 players, that's where the Toronto Raptors have weaknesses is that when you dip into that little bit of depth, it's it's beyond that that we have the question. And Toronto looked like they were the team on the back-to-back last night, not the Brooklyn Nets when the fourth quarter came. Toronto looked like the wheels fell off. Brooklyn kind of fed off that and played better. Absolutely. Now, let's stay in Toronto, but let's shift sports. We're talking Blue Jays now. This was a story you wanted to bring forward and chat about yesterday, but we ran out of time. Tell me about the Blue Jays and a new potential signing. Yes. So I saw this a couple of days ago and I thought we would get it confirmed, but it is not yet confirmed. But it is pretty well a potential. And that is that the Toronto Blue Jays may be interested in Cody Bellinger. The projected deal is um, two years, $16 million. The second year is an option for Cody Bellinger. If this does go through, I will absolutely love this trade. I think that the Blue Jays need that left-handed bat. They need sort of the change in in look in the batter's box. That's one of the glaring differences in the Toronto Blue Jays lineup is they need that left-handed bat. And so if it's not Cody Bellinger, they, they need to find someone that will do this. But I would be totally happy if... Cody Bellinger does sign with the Toronto Blue Jays. And I repeat, if it is not confirmed yet. Yeah, this is one of those weird uh, kind of deals where it's not confirmed, but we basically have an idea what the the price, what the deal is going to be. You you, ha- you already have people saying, well, it's going to be a second-year option and this and that. Okay, well, if all these financial terms are, are kind of released and all these details are released, it's pretty much like a 99% done deal but you're just waiting on the team to officially confirm that the deal is done before you can kind of sign off and then start putting that lineup together where he will slot in in the rotation and and uh where he'll play on the field uh so as we we were teasing throughout uh today is american thanksgiving 
That means a whole lot of NFL football. So, Brock, we don't have a ton of time, but can you quickly run through the different games that are on tap today? We have the Bills and the Lions. Uh, This is an interesting game in the sense that uh, Buffalo played in Detroit uh, last week as the home team because of the, uh, the snowstorm. This is a game where they need to uh, continue their winning ways. They've kind of slipped a little bit here and there. The Cowboys seem to always get into this Thanksgiving um, matinee games. This one's not one that I'm like, eh, I'm not that excited by. The late game, however, I am enjoying watching Minnesota Vikings and the uh, Patriots again. I look at Minnesota and I say this should be a win, but you never know with Bill Belichick and the uh, Patriots what they can muster up. But it seems to me like if we look at this on paper, there are there are sort of two, possibly three obvious winners. But I hate to say obvious because it is sports and you have to play the game in order to find out what the result is. See, I, I'm I'm finding it interesting because the, the matchup with the two uh, teams with the best records, you're kind of... Uh, just blase about the Giants and and uh, Dallas. They're both playing pretty well. They're they're fighting for that uh, number two spot in their division behind Philly. Like, I I agree, Brock. I I think both teams can kind of disappear at times. They can look really good or just really average. We will see. I'm of the mind that Minnesota is not as good as their record is. I know I get a lot of. Uh, flack for this from from uh, my friends and uh, people I talk to, but I I've seen Kirk Cousins play enough to know not to put too much faith or or trust in him winning games. Justin Jefferson is a world beater, but he has to get the ball in the first place, and and that's going to be a, a question down the stretch. I think uh, Bill Belichick is certainly going to keep things interesting in Buffalo. This is a potential upset. Watch Detroit has a very good offense, a very bad defense. But Buffalo has looked like they've kind of slipped a bit, so we will have to see. I wouldn't be surprised if Detroit pulls out an upset against Buffalo. I know, I I know I'm I'm causing a bit of heartache for you, Brock. But uh, I I love Buffalo too. But I I think Detroit is gonna play upset down the stretch, and I think they may start today. Yeah, no, I agree. I am a Bills fan, but I have seen uh, some questionable things in the three games that they've lost and most of those three games you question yourself and you wonder why is this happening but buffalo seems to rise to the occasion of playing you know better teams like Kansas City really really well and then when you assume that you should beat someone and you should never assume in football or any sport but that's when you see a bit of slippage from Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. Absolutely. Brock, we got to let you go, but thank you so much for chatting sports, and we'll debrief the NFL games tomorrow. We will indeed. Okay, that was Brock Richardson, the host of the Nutrisone on AMI-TV and audio. And now we head back to Mike Ross, who has our national weather update. Thanks, Alex. We're going to begin your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada in Quarterbrook, Newfoundland, where there are periods of snow today, anywhere from 2 to 10 centimeters, uh, thanks to some snow squalls. The high will be minus 3, the wind chill will be near minus 15. Charlottetown has a mix of sun and cloud, the high of minus 1, the wind chill is minus 9 this afternoon. To St. John, New Brunswick, sunshine with a high of 0, the wind chill this morning minus 16. 
in Quebec City, mainly sunny skies today with a high of minus four. The wind chill this afternoon, minus six. Let's go to Toronto where it'll be a mix of sun and cloud and a high of eight today. Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario is cloudy, also with a high of eight degrees. Brandon, Manitoba, sunny skies, a high of plus two. The wind chill though this morning, minus 12. Regina, Saskatchewan will see some sunny, some sunny skies, pardon me, with a high of plus two and a wind chill of minus 12. Lethbridge, Alberta, sunshine, plus two is the high. The wind chill, minus 12 this morning. Red Deer, Alberta has cloudy skies and a high of nine degrees. The wind chill this morning, minus six. In Whitehorse, snow ending this afternoon, then a mix of sun and cloud. You're going to get between two and four centimeters of snow. The temperature near minus two, the wind chill minus eight. Kelowna, BC has a mix of sun and cloud and a high of plus two. And Vancouver, British Columbia will be mainly sunny with a high of nine degrees. And that is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Mike. We'll be checking in with you a bit later in the show for the roundtable. But International Day of Persons with Disabilities is coming up soon on December 3rd. To recognize the day, the Alliance for the Equity... Excuse me. The Alliance for the Equality of Blind Canadians will be hosting their annual conference virtually. We spoke with one of the organizers earlier this week. And join in on the, converse, uh, on the conversation by tuning in to The Pulse on AMI-audio from 1 to 4 p.m. Eastern on December 3rd for a special broadcast of the event with host Jawita Gupta. Coming up next, Stephen Scott shares his thoughts on the Amazon Fire tablet. You're watching now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. As you know, we love to talk technology and catch up with the team at Double Tap TV. So today, Stephen Scott is joining me to discuss the Amazon Fire tablet. And he joins me from Glasgow, Scotland. And as I mentioned, the Double, Double Tap airs daily at noon Eastern on AMI-audio. Hey, Stephen, how's it going? I'm all right, Alex. How are you? I, I know I'm, I'm surprised as well. Trust me, I, I'm continually amazed at this fact. <laughs> I, I know, right? It always just kind of uh, pops up on you. Um, I, I'm doing well. We're talking Amazon Fire tablets. So first off, for someone who may not know the Amazon line of tablets or may not be able to differentiate them from some of the others, can you tell us a bit about the Amazon Fire tablet? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, we hear a lot about different devices and tablets and you'll hear people like me talk about iPads a lot. Oddly enough, anything with a fruit shaped logo at the back of it usually suits me fine. Uh, but actually, there are options out there. And I bring this up this week because I think at this time of year, you know, if we're looking to buy presents for the holidays, you know, one of the challenges can be budget. And you don't have to spend an absolute fortune on the very latest and greatest. There are alternatives out there. And the Amazon Fire tablet I think it's a great option, totally accessible. It's a fantastic device, comes in a range of different sizes. There are kids' editions as well. So you get, from the very beginning, you get the Fire 7, which is a 7-inch. You get the Fire 8, which is an 8-inch. And I'm going to let you guess what size the Fire 10 is, uh, Alex. It's, it's really complicated, clearly. Uh, clearly, um, it's going to be like 11.6 <laughs> or something, just to throw people exactly, off, right? Yeah. 
That's right. And, you know, it's, it's just such a great tablet. I've actually got one here in my hand that I'm showing you. And, you know, it's just so cool. Because the thing is, a lot of people will look at it. And the first thing they'll think is, oh, that's like an iPad. And you'd be absolutely right, because I've got an iPad next to it as well. And the iPad, you know what, they'll look exactly the same, right? Yeah. But, you know, the iPad is $600. And this thing starts at 80. So, you know, I think that there's quite a difference in price. Now, you might ask yourself, well, what's the difference in quality? Well, there is a difference. Of course there is. But not a huge difference. The technology has got so good these days that even in a tablet starting at $80, for most people who are going to use this for you know, watching Netflix or catching up with that Amazon Prime video special or listening to a podcast, sending an email, you know, maybe uh, you know, invoking Lady A, as I like to call her, that is what you, most people might do with this, and they're going to find this tablet fine. Well, and, and that's where I'm, I'm trying to figure out, like, who is the, uh, I guess, the target audience for, for the Amazon Fire tablets? Is it people who may not have a tablet or are just starting kind of to get, dip their toe into the water in terms of tablets and these types of larger devices? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Who is the target? I think it's kids, I think for sure. Kids, and, and that's why it's great that they do have the Fire Kids edition which means it's much more safer if they end up yeah. online. They can only download so many applications. There are more restrictions on that. And, of course, you get cool little bumpers as well that you can you know, put around it so you can hold it, which I think should be for adults, to be perfectly honest, because <laughs> I'm always dropping my phone on my face in bed. So, uh, you know, having bumpers on it would be kind of cool. Um, but, you know, on top of that, you've got, you know, people who are, you know, you're, you're thinking about your parents. Think about people who are maybe not that tech savvy. People who want to get into the world of smart tech, who could benefit from it. I always say to people, think about something you want to do, like make that Skype call or, you know, make a video call using, you know, Amazon services. You can do that with these kind of devices. And again, it doesn't have to be particularly expensive. And, you know, a lot of people have heard of me talk about and have heard everyone talk about the Amazon Echo, which is the smart speaker. That's actually built into these devices as well. So, you know, you might have heard of the Amazon Echo devices that have got the screen on them. Well, that's what this is. So I can talk to Lady A on this and I can get, you know, I can, I can, you know, drop in on people. I can, you know, find out what the time is, find out what the weather is, find out anything I really want to find out. You know, what's on my calendar today? It will tell me all that information. It will speak back to me. And of course, that's before we even talk about accessibility. Well, yeah, and uh, you you teed it up perfectly, Stephen. I mean, it's like you do this for a living or something. Who'd have thought, eh? Yeah, exactly. So tell me, what's the accessibility like? You said it was good, but, like, what are some of the features? Okay, so look, iPad, $600. This starts around 80 going up to about 200 depending on what you're buying. Um, you know, it's, um, it's not the same as using, say, an iPad with voiceover or an Android tablet, say, a Samsung with TalkBack. It's not going to be quite as good, but you are going to have the ability to use this even if you're totally blind. Like if you bought this today uh, as a totally blind person, you get it out of your box, you open it all up and you've got it here. What you can are actually able to do is just press that home button or press the power button, I should say, at the very top of the device three times. And uh, like in your favorite Disney movie, uh, a voice will speak to you. And that voice is Voice View, which is their screen reader. And, you know, it will be able to guide you through and set up the device completely, you know, unaided. You don't need to have anyone help you out with that, which is super cool. So it's got that accessibility built in. You can use the screen reader, the same swipes and gestures you might hear people talk about when they talk about using an iPhone with voiceover or, again, an Android phone with TalkBack. So you have that same kind of experience. You also have large text options. You have high contrast options. 
you have the dark mode options, you have ability to zoom and magnify, and there are lots of other cool things as well. And it, like I say, it uses all the same gestures that you've become used to if you use an iPhone. So let's say, for example, you are an iPhone user. You don't really feel you want to spend the money on an iPad, but you'd like a tablet in the house. This is an option for you because this means you can have this at a little bit extra cost and you still get all that accessibility. It's not going to be quite as perfect, but it's there and it is working and they're updating it all the time. So that's the good news. Well, and, and that's so key, too, because oftentimes you get different brands with their accessibility features. It's all accessed in different ways. It's all controlled in different ways. But the fact that this essentially is kind of mirroring the same actions and controls with with uh, Apple's products, albeit at a, a, a different setup, that, that's that's huge for people. So, uh, But before we let you go, Stephen, can you let us know what's coming up on today's episode of Double Tap? So today, what we're talking about, well, I am talking all about upgrading my PC because, you know, I've decided it's time to upgrade the PC. I want a new hard drive in there. But what do I buy? I mean, honestly, you go online these days, there's a billion options. What's the right size? What's the speed of these things? So we're going to geek out a little bit on that. And we're going to learn all about a cool new product that's just available in Canada uh, recently, actually, called the Hable One. It's a Braille input keyboard, a physical keyboard uh, using Braille input to uh, you know, use on smartphones like iPhones and Android. It's a really cool device. We're going to speak to its inventor and uh, the founder of the company, Hable, on the show today. That's awesome. Yeah, we had Freak on uh, a few weeks ago. He was phenomenal to talk about. Great device. Stephen, thank you so much for chatting with me today. A pleasure, Alex. Have a great day. That was Stephen Scott, who is one of the hosts of Double Tap, which airs weekdays and Saturdays at noon Eastern on AMI-audio. He spoke to us from Glasgow, Scotland. You can follow Double Tap teams on Twitter at Double Tap on Air. Now, we also like to promote some of the other uh, programs happening at AMI. And this Thursday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern on The Pulse, host Juwita Gupta chats with author Leanne Godden about her new book, The Plant Eyes, A Personal and Cultural History of Blindness. That's The Pulse, Thursday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern on AMI-audio. Coming up next... Ramya Muthan, Nazreen Abdel-Majid joins me and Mike Ross for a roundtable discussion. You're watching Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Alex Smythe, still filling in for Dave Brown. It's that time of show where we like to have a roundtable discussion, so we're going to bring in everybody. We have Ramya Muthan, Nazreen Abdel-Majid, and Mike Ross, who is going to lead this roundtable discussion. Mike, what did you want to talk about today? Well, you know, today is U.S. Thanksgiving, which is the official kickoff to the holiday season, at least for me and uh, a lot of people who are celebrating today and tomorrow with black friday and then cyber monday a lot of people are if they haven't already are going to begin their holiday shopping but with the current state and climate of the economy 
I'm wondering, uh, you know, what gift giving is going to look like this year, because I've heard of a lot of people that are sort of questioning how they're going to go about gift giving this year. And I've uh, heard of some people that are turning to uh, giving handmade gifts and and really crafting gifts and and doing that. Uh, Others are going with experiences rather than, you know, material gifts and and just things that are just going to sort of clunk around someone's house. And even others are looking at charitable donations. I know with our family, we've decided that there are going to be no gifts this year. We are going to take the money that we would normally uh, use to buy gifts for each other, and we are going to adopt uh, a family, go with a a Christmas hamper for a family, and put all that money towards uh, a a couple of uh, hampers. So I'm wondering, you know, with this shopping season upon us, what everybody's approach is going to be this year and whether they've considered alternative forms of gift giving and what their plans are. So uh, let me start with you, Alex. What have you got planned for this year? Yeah, so my uh, holiday shopping is always a bit different because not only do we have all the the Christmas shopping that goes into it, but it's also my, my entire immediate family's birthdays are all in November. So I, I get a double whammy of uh, uh, gift giving in this season. What we've started to do more and more over the past few years, it's far more directed. You're, you're, we're giving less of these auxiliary gifts, the smaller ones and, and less uh, uh, amounts of gifts, but we'll we'll buy like one or two main things and big things for, for whoever uh, birthday or, or Christmas it is. And that way, you know, it's you're, you're not feeling like you're overwhelming someone with uh, gifts that they, they can't store or they can't hold on to and you're spending less money but it's more appreciative on the types of things you're doing that said we also every year like you mike uh, my family always donates uh we do oxfam so we'll always uh, donate a different uh a farm animal to to a family in in need and that's always been uh kind of a family tradition that we've we've kind of held on to but um it, with my extended family, we always did it that it was like you buy one gift, you bring it, and then you have this like kind of secret Santa game that we do. That way it cut down very much so on the cost of getting everybody gifts at, at big family gatherings. Sure. Ms. Reen, what's it like around your place? Let me let you in on a little secret. So what we do is whenever there's a sale throughout the year, we stock up on gifts to see what, you know, what people would like Um for cousins, friends, whatever, but we don't celebrate Christmas, but this is generally like when we plan for Eid or something like that, it gets super busy at the mall. So we stock up on gifts and um, we're ready for it. But as you said, it becomes very expensive afterwards because, you know, the family gets bigger and bigger. So we end up just um, uh, for the cousins, we just give for the kids and just one big gift for the family instead of, you know, each person a different gift. So we kind of improvise on that. Ramia, what about you? So we're the opposite uh, in my family of Nisreen's family because we do not shop well and we (laughs) do not plan well for Christmas or for birthdays for that matter. Um, We really love the gift exchanges and over the years we've gone like wild with gift giving uh but lately so i think you know how you said mike everyone's kind of going through this challenge of how much to spend on gifts we my family went through that a couple years ago when we tried to 
uh, we started to get so big on gifts and it started to get so expensive that we realized, okay, this can't happen. We can't every year uh, keep going above and beyond the last year and then um, have that gigantic credit card bill in January. So what we started doing was just went back to zero and did like gift baskets for the family or one big thing uh, or even gift exchanges where, uh, as you guys talked about, where everybody kind of picks a name out of a hat or uh, knows, you know, who's giving who a gift. So everybody gets something, but I think it's really about the festivity. We just love spending time with each other and that gift giving has been part of that um, moment for us. I'm wondering about you guys as individuals and gifts that you might give yourself. So I'm looking right now to get a new tablet. So the tablet that I've had for many, many years has finally died and gone to a uh, uh, hardware heaven. And so I need, uh, I need a new tablet. And I've just noticed that there are such great sales at this time of year that it's the perfect time to get that, that thing that I've been waiting uh, a little while to get. So I wonder if you guys are thinking about yourselves this week and over the next week and a half or so with all the Black Friday and Cyber Monday sales that are going to be happening uh, over the next little bit. Are you thinking about, you know, sort of a, maybe a big purchase that suddenly is not as big because there's a great sale going on? Are you thinking about yourself right now? Alex? Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yes, absolutely. I, I'm always thinking about myself, Mike. Come on, you don't get into this job in this profession without thinking about yourself. <laughs> no, um, but uh, I am actually looking uh, this weekend, I'm, I'm going to be uh, buying a new phone. So uh, it's one of those things, I've, I've had my phone now for over five years. It's uh, served me well, but it's starting to get slow, lag behind. And I was waiting for Black Friday to come around to go and get an iPhone. I'm not getting the newest one available because, you know, there's not really the sales on on new products. But uh, looking at last year's model, uh, going through the Best Buy and Costco and stuff, not only do you save on, you know, the price of the phone and, and like the plans and stuff, but they'll also give you these like massive gift cards for like $100, $200, $300 with some, some carrier. So it's like, well, I, I would be like kind of uh, foolish not to take the the offer now I, i've been waiting for the yeah. right time it's it's the best time to go and make that purchase so yeah i'm definitely i've been waiting for a while for it so i'm I'm ready to pounce this weekend yeah i've noticed that too there's uh, one box store in particular where um i've had family that got their new phones at that box store and along with the purchase of the phone, which was discounted, they got a $300 gift card for that store. So whether they used it for groceries or, or you know, winter clothes or anything, the timing right now could not have been better uh, for them to, to have that extra uh, money that they can use at this time of year. Uh, Ramia, what about you? Are you thinking about anything for yourself? Not this year particularly. Definitely in the past couple of years, it's either been, you know, an upgrade to a phone or a new winter jacket, just kind of on a need to get basis. Um, but yeah, around this time, you're keeping an eye on, I don't know if they're real sales, but yeah, some kind of deals going on and everyone's, everyone's putting up some kind of sale because it's, it's Christmas and, and all the other stuff. But um, this year, particularly, no, I don't really have anything that I'm getting for myself. I like the skepticism there. Then are they really real sales? We certainly what I'm heard a lot because you get yeah. sucked into it. Yeah, no, you you're listening. I know. Wait till now. 
and I know that there are businesses out there that have been accused in the past of inflating their regular price at this time of year so that the sale price uh, looks that much better. And if you actually did a little bit of research and went back, yeah, that's that, that regular price is quite inflated at this time of year. Uh, Nisreen, what about you? Anything for yourself this year? I don't need a special occasion to spoil myself, that's for sure. <laughs> Um, I'll buy it regardless, <laughs> but I'm thinking to get an Apple watch soon. So that's something new. I was indecisive about it for some time because I don't know the accessibility features behind it exactly. But, uh, after careful research, I think, I think that's the one that I'm going to spoil myself with this year. All right. Well, well listen, great. happy shopping to everybody. Uh, it's uh, certainly a busy time of year for uh, the retailers, whether it be uh, online or in stores, but appreciate everybody's input on it. Yeah, thank you very much, Mike, for leading this discussion. I'll say goodbye to you and to you as well, Nisreen. Ramya, before you go, you got to let us know what's coming up on today's episode of Kelly & Co. For sure, Alex. So we're talking to Susan Kearney, our gardener, and she's talking about a very interesting way that she's putting a wrap on her 2022 garden. Um, that's all she says. It's a bit of a tease, but I'm very interested for sure because this time of year she's always doing something fun. And in uh, another conversation, we're chatting with Krishna Wasborn. She's an instructor at Dark Room Ballet, and this is um, work that she does in an accessible way for dance instruction as well as audio description of dance performances. So we're really looking forward to that conversation. Plus, Mike Fair has part two of iOS security features, and this time he's talking about more advanced settings that you can go into on your iPhone and um, get to know so that you can protect your information on the device. Amazing, Ramya. It's always a jam-packed show whenever you guys are doing it. So. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. And I, I can't wait to tune in to hear all those interviews. Thanks, Alex. Have a good show. So coming up after the break, we wrap up the show with Greg David, who walks us through TV Insider's list for the best holiday movies and specials. You're watching now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Every couple of weeks, we present The Scoop with Greg David, who, who's our communication specialist here at AMI-tv. He joins us from his home in Chelsea, Quebec. Good morning, Greg. How's it going? Good, Alex. I'm good. Nice to talk to you. Congratulations on the new gig. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I'm liking <laughs> it so much, you know, uh, maybe Dave can't come back for a bit longer. No, no, no. He's, he's coming back. Don't worry. I, I don't want to alarm people at home prematurely. Uh, so, Greg, you, you, you brought us a couple different topics. First off, there's something we've been promoting on the show the last uh, week or so. It's mm -hmm. the Tripping on Air contest giveaway. So can you tell me a bit about, first of all, Tripping on Air, the podcast, and what is the kind of the the theme and the style of that uh, podcast? Yeah, sure. So Ardra Shepard, who uh, AMI TV viewers will know as the host of Fashion Dis, which will be coming back for a second season, um, she's a member of the multiple sclerosis community, and for the past several years, she's been uh, having she's been writing a blog called Tripping on Air, and you can find it at trippingonair.com, where she just talks about life. 
um, with MS, the funny moments, the not so funny moments and the struggles that she goes through. And that blog was turned into a podcast that she does with her friend, Alex. And so every month on the Tripping on Air podcast, uh, they just talk about the, they spill the tea on what it's like to live with MS. It's a monthly podcast. And as they say, they invite the cool kids of chronic illness to tune in, hang out, have a laugh, learn some tips, and above all, feel seen. And uh, so, yeah, it's just a great extension of the Tripping On Air uh, blog, uh, turning into not only an audio podcast, but a video podcast that's available on YouTube. Amazing. And as we were promoting this contest, you know, we gave a lot of the details. One thing we didn't say is some of the gifts that are up for grabs. So can you highlight some of the uh, some of the gifts that uh, uh, the winners will get? Yeah, absolutely. And I do want to preface this by saying that we have over 700 entries with still a week to go, which is crazy. Yeah. But among the prizes, and I think that this is the reason why people are so excited, are some of the, the gifts that are that are being given away. Uh, there's a carbon ultralight rollator, which is being given away in holiday red. And for those that don't know, a rollator is kind of like a walker with wheels, um, a lot more easy to use than a walker. It has grips. Uh, it has handbrakes on it. It also has a seating platform and it has hooks to hang bags off of. So that's one of the big the the big prizes that are available. But also there's a, a fashion magazine sub subscription for one year. We've got some jewelry from a company um, uh, that uh, that has made one specifically with a gem in it that is tied to the multiple sclerosis community. We've got a, a leather bag. We've got uh, a couple of different apps that people can uh, can people can sign up for for free that will help them with uh, with mental wellness and health as well. So just, uh, and oh, there's also a professional portrait photo shoot that is available in this as part of this giveaway as well. So lots of great prizes. Uh, Greg, quickly, how can people enter and when's the deadline to enter? Yeah, so the deadline to enter is December the 1st at 11.59 p.m. Eastern. Go to ami.ca slash TOA contest to enter. And again, that's ami.ca slash TOA contest to enter. And so as folks at home may have started to notice, the holidays are coming up upon us. We've been discussing a lot of different holiday themed topics. And that means also turning into favorite seasonal movies, TV, and specials. You wanted to talk about TV's Insider's list of the top 50 holiday movies and specials. So I'm curious on their selections of the top three. So can you give us number three? Yeah, for sure. So number three is It's a Wonderful Life. This is the movie from 1946 from Frank Capra, and uh, it stars James Stewart as a, as a man named George Bailey. And on Christmas Eve, facing bankruptcy and criminal charges due to a family business catastrophe that's not his fault, he is considering suicide. And an angel comes along to show him what his life would be like if he did, in fact, jump off the bridge that he's on. This is number three in the top 50, Alex. And I know that this is a staple of the Christmas season, and it's always on television, usually on CBC and NBC. But I think that this is a real downer of a, of a movie to be shown during the holidays. I don't know. How do you feel about that? Yeah, so 
part of the reason why it became so synonymous with Christmas was no one liked it when it came out. It was a big flop, you know, and and right. just all the uh, syndication networks got the rights to air it very cheaply, and so they just started playing it. That's why it became so popular because it was always on. I agree with you. I'm not a huge fan of it's a it's a wonderful life. It's certainly at the near the bottom of my list in terms of uh, Christmas and holiday films. I I. I think Jingle All the Way is probably above it. Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> with with the reindeer. So you know, I, I I that's where I feel it should be. Number three is high to me. Now number two, on the other hand, Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. Do you agree with this this ranking of number two? Yeah, I'm a real sucker for this one. Came out in 1964, and this is the Rankin Bass Productions, which is the the classic stop motion, uh, you know, plasticine pieces. Uh, I love this. It's all about the story of Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. Uh, Burl Ives is involved. You know, he's not only the narrator as a snowman, but he also sings the 1949 title tune. Uh, Holly Jolly Christmas. Yeah, first broadcast in 1964, and it has been on television on CBS almost exclusively that whole time, and it is one of my absolute favorites. Where do you stand? Do you think it, it deserves to be at number two in the top 50? Yeah, so this is, I feel about Rudolph uh, the way many people feel about It's a Wonderful Life. It's a classic. It was always on, but it deserved to always be on. There's something, it's light, it's it's colorful, it's it's for kids. You know, there, there were so many positives. Number two, sure, I, I would happily give this slot to Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer in terms of a, a family-friendly affair. Now, number one, it's a Charlie Brown Christmas. Do you think it should? it's the number one best all the time? I don't. I like it. I don't tune in and make sure that I watch it every year, though. Came out originally in 1965. Again, it's a staple of the C- CBS schedule. Um, uh, just a little story. Charles Schultz you know, ignored CBS executives' request to include a, a laugh track. Um, he hired non-professional children to voice some of the characters. But you know, when it comes right down to it, I'm looking for comfort in my holiday stuff. And A Charlie Brown Christmas is definitely comforting to me. Uh, but I don't know. It would not be on my number one if I was doing a top 50. Where, where do you stand, Alex? For me, I've never really connected with Charlie Brown uh, as as a series, as a cartoon. I, mm-hmm. I know I, I can already feel the 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 shocks and the uh, uh, kind of condemnations coming through the airwaves uh, uh, from folks at home. But I I just never quite got it. You know, I, I, whether it was just at a weird age when I was watching it, like it was all the other kids stuff that I really connected with more. So number one, certainly not for me now. If this isn't number one for you, Greg, what is your number one? First of all, I totally agree with you saying that about Charlie Brown. I didn't connect with Charlie Brown either. Um, What I did connect with is Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas, uh, the classic animated. uh, The Jim Carrey movie is great. But and you know deserves to be on the list. But my top would be the original with Boris Karloff. That is my absolute favorite of all time and would be at the top of my list. What about you? I mean, there's something really iconic about hearing Boris Karloff give that sinister, like, uh, narration in the, mm-hmm. the cartoon. It was short, but it was impactful. Like, I, I really enjoyed Now, I'm going to stir up a bit of controversy, I guess. Um, for Do me, it. the one that I have to watch every single year, my hands-down favorite, 
National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Uh, Chevy Chase, uh, it's just so iconic. It's funny. It it just lingers. And every single year, I just crave the day that I can turn it on. I can watch it. That's not to say I I don't enjoy How the Grinch Stole Christmas or Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, but... That is the one film I have to make sure I watch every single year. That's totally fair. I mean, it's it would be high on my list as well. And it's actually, I like it more and more every year now. When it first came out or within those first few years of being on TV, I wasn't a huge fan. But, you know, like that fruitcake at the back of the fridge, you know, over time it gets better and better. And now I really enjoy it too. Yeah, just like that turkey. You just got to open yourself up to a world of possibilities there, Greg. <laughs> That's right. Thank you so much for, for chatting with me about this. You know, it's it's always... I, I always struggle with like how early should we kind of get into talking about holiday movies and things like that. But, uh, you know, it's it's the end of November. It's November 24th already. It, it seems yeah. like the fall has just kind of whipped by and we're already in in the uh, like the mist of the holiday season. So, I mean, before I know it, I'm going to be just turning around and, and watching all the, the Christmas movies and the Christmas specials. Yeah, they're already on the air. It used to be you had to wait until Thanksgiving down in the U.S., but CBC's been broadcasting specials this week, so we got to get in on it now. The one thing I will say, though, is the fact that I was a bit upset that I started hearing Christmas music before Halloween had wrapped. Yes. It was still in, like, in the middle of October, and I was starting to hear it. It's like, nope, nope, that is too early for me. But now, okay, it's cold. A lot of places are having snow on the ground. It it was a nice and foggy morning here in Toronto. I, I started to feel a bit of the Christmas vibe. Awesome. Greg, thank you so much. Thanks, Alex. That's Greg David, the communication specialist for AMI, and he spoke to us from Chelsea, Quebec. So coming up on the show tomorrow, we have entertainment critic Michael McNeely shares his take on Jonah Hill's new movie, Stutz. And... I just want to thank all the guests we had on today. Don Dickinson. uh, We had Paul Daniel, Greg David, Ryan Huey, and Stephen Scott. They all brought some great conversations to the table. It was fun to connect with friends. I'm Alex Smythe. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.